Well, when you're a kid, the scariest thing, in my opinion, is the thought of getting lost. Is that a scary thing for you when you're a little kid? You didn't like to get lost? Um, I got lost one time. It was kind of scary. I got lost in Walmart, in the San Clemente Walmart, and I was just lost for a little bit. It wasn't that long. Probably 10 minutes, though, but I couldn't find my mom. And I was with my brother, and he's a little bit older than me, but we were, pro- we were pretty little. I mean, we're probably, I'm just guessing, but we're probably in the, the five-year-old, four-year-old, six-year-old range. So this is back when getting lost was scary, right? You, some of you were like, oh, please let me be lost. But think back when you were a little kid right? When you are really scared of not being with mom and dad. It's pretty scary. So we got lost, but it really didn't take that long because we found somebody and we said, we're lost. You know, when that little, you know, the little kids come up to the person at Walmart or you probably get lost in places like Target, um, not Walmart. But <laughs> anyway, uh, we went up to some lady and said, we're lost. We don't know where our mom is. And she's like, okay, wait right here. And then we waited with her and, you know, we found our mom, and it was fine. But that's not that scary. But what would even be more scary when you're a little kid is if you got lost and your parents didn't want to come find you. That would be even scarier. Uh, If you got lost and your mom and dad were like, oh, cool, whatever. They're glad glad we lost them. I mean, they were they were rough to handle. Um, that would be scary. If you even thought like that your parents might leave you and like would just bail and that would be really scary because that would be scary down to your, to your core. You'd be like, what, what could happen if I upset them or if, if, they, if I get lost, if they're not going to look for me, that's really scary, right? And obviously, um, all of you, whatever, wherever you grew up with mom or dad or both, I mean, obviously your parents wanted to find you every time you got lost. So you were not in that situation. But it's interesting how scary that would be if you were lost and you felt like someone forgot about you. And you felt like the people who cared about you most forgot about you. Well, that feeling is what the text talks about tonight. Psalm 42 talks about this, this righteous person who says, it feels like God forgot about me. Feels like I'm lost, so to speak. And it's not like I'm just lost and, I, and God's looking for me and I'm, I'm going to find him. It feels like I'm not with God and I'm not close to God. And it feels like God doesn't really care about that. And it feels like I want to be close to God, but God doesn't seem to want to be close to me. That is a frightening place to be. So I want you to look in your Bibles at Psalm chapter 42. Everybody grab your Bible. Look at Psalm 42. Psalm 42. We're going to look at Psalms with a Z or an S. Um, Not really a Z. I'm just kidding. With an S. We're going to look at two Psalms here because really these two Psalms really could be put as one Psalm. Because the way that they're written is so similar, a lot of people think this was originally one song that got split in two. Maybe this was two songs that people put next to each other, but the point is still the same. They they teach the same thing. And really, we come to the end and the resolution in chapter 43 that starts in chapter 42. The problem is presented. We're taken on this journey. Really, it's a back and forth journey, as I'll explain in a minute. But once we get to Psalm 43, then we finally have the answer of what we're supposed to do. Now, Psalm 42. Before it, you might see a, in your Bible, it might say book two. You see that? Well, we've been only studying Psalms from the first book, the first part of the song book. There's actually five parts, and there's some similarities in these. And in this set of the Psalms, there's so many different titles. Every, every song has a title, basically. There's one song that doesn't have a title, um, and it's the one that we're looking at second. That's one other reason people think these were together. Psalm 43 has no title. You might see 
send out your light and your truth, but that's something that the translators put in. That's not what was original in the text. What's original in the text is right here in chapter 42, where it says, to the choir master, a mascot of the sons of Korah. Now, the Bible says that Korah was an unrighteous man. He's actually one of the guys who led a rebellion, and it seems like the sons of Korah were people who survived from this evil guy's family, and they later became the, the priests. But not just the priests, they became people who sang in the temple in David's time. So it seems like this was written by one of them, or if not written by one of them, it was at least um, the one that they sung. So some think David wrote it, and the sons of Korah just sung it all the time. But either way, this is from the perspective of the righteous person who feels like God forgot about it. Look at what it says in verse 1. It says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. It's basically saying, I want to be close to God, and it feels like I'm thirsty. When I'm thirsty and I can't be satisfied, it's just something doesn't feel right, and in a really bad way. He says, my soul thirsts for God. Not for just any type of God or any, you know, God of the nations, but for the living God. Then he asks the question, when shall I come and appear before God? When am I going to get to talk to God? He feels like he's lost and God's not looking for him. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. Like, what is he eating? What's his Chick-fil-A? What's his manna? What's the thing he's eating? It's like, well, you know, I drink my tears at night and that's all I have for food. What is he saying? I'm always crying. I'm weeping. There's, it's an expressive way of saying I'm so sad and it's not getting better. Whatever he has going on, he's not getting better. He says, while they say to me all the day long, quote, where is your God? Now, who's saying this? We don't know. We don't even know, technically, the exact person who wrote this. We don't know. But the point is, this person is getting attacked by people who say, where's your God right now? Oh, but you follow God. Today, they would say, oh, you're a Christian, though. Where's your God to protect you? Oh, you're close to God. You're not even close to God. God doesn't care about you. It's like really insulting stuff is coming his way. He says in verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. So that's why we think this is like, this is a worship leader. This is one of the guys who led the worship. So he says, I remember back in the day when I would take the whole group of Israelites and we would come into the temple and we would sing songs to God and we'd offer the burnt offerings and I could, I could close my eyes and I could smell it. I could close my eyes and I could hear all the sounds. He says, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Verse 5, he asks himself a question. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. What he's saying here is something's wrong. We don't know what's wrong, but something's really, really wrong. So much so that there's a sadness that he's feeling that's so deep he, can, he cannot really even explain it. But he goes to God, and he feels like God's not answering. Right? That's a really helpless place to be. That's a really helpless feeling that I think he's getting at, which is why if some of you encounter some kind of sadness that the people around you don't understand, you're not crazy Okay, the Bible actually talks about there's a sadness that you can feel that the people around you might not even understand completely, but that doesn't mean it's not real. Okay? He's actually describing a type of sadness like that. It's an inner sadness, super sad. 
again, we don't know what it is. And for you, as you think of your sadness, you'll probably express this in different ways. There's different things that will make you sad. But when you're sad, that's kind of the question, what do we do? What are you going to do when you're sad? This psalm tells us, well, you got to talk to yourself. You're talking to God and you're talking to yourself. There's really the two people you're talking to here. Verse number six, he says, my soul is cast down within me. He just said before, why is my soul cast down? He's talking to himself saying, hey, why are you so sad? And then he says later, I'm so sad. You see this guy's really troubled. It's like, this is how it feels when you're really, really depressed and sad. It's like, I shouldn't be sad right now. Why am I sad? Oh, I'm so sad. It's like going back and forth here. Says, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. He's remembering God. He says, from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Miser, which these are places that seem to be far away from Jerusalem, which again, go back to the idea that you probably have a person who's used to leading worship in Jerusalem, and now he's kicked out. He's far away. Some people thought this was during the exile. Other people thought this was David, and it was one of the times he was kicked out of the, the city of Jerusalem. We don't know. Point is, he's used to leading worship, and now he's saying, I'm at Mount Hermon. I'm far away. I can't even see the hills of Jerusalem anymore. Verse 7, he says, Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. All right, now we're officially going into some symbolic language here, which what he's saying is, and if you can think of Mount Hermon, um, it's a mountain where it actually fed the Jordan River. So that river that you know of as kind of that small little river down in Israel you know, where it's fed, like we were up at the mountains last week, right? You notice that when it snows, the water goes everywhere. And for you guys, it went on the road. And that's why your shoes got all muddy, right? Because the water and the snow was going down. It all goes down the mountain somewhere, right? And up at Big Bear, it gets, you know, stuck in that lake. Most of it does. But some of it comes down the mountain, right? How the Jordan River was fed was with this big mountain that got a lot of snow. So at the base of the mountain, there was big waterfalls, and there's just a lot of water that makes its way through there. So it's interesting. He's like at a place where there's all this water, and he looks at the water, and he says, all the floods and all that stuff, it's like that's all washing over me. That's a symbol of saying, it just everything is horrible right now. He's overwhelmed with his sadness. It's like, it's like I'm in a flood, and I'm inside of a waterfall, and all the things in life are just hitting me, hitting me, hitting me, and it won't stop. And he's saying, it's your waterfall. God, you have made this happen. I know you're in control. You're letting this happen to me. Sad. He says in verse 8, By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? That's where we get the title from tonight. Why have you forgotten me? Have you forgotten about me? I feel like you don't care so much. Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. They make fun of me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So these people, again, in this guy's life, seem to be attacking him and his character or whatever. Maybe they're making up things about him. And they're saying, see, God doesn't care about you. Right? I mean, what could hurt your heart more than that to think maybe God doesn't care about me? Right? To believe the lies that these people are saying about him. He asks himself a question again. Verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in tor turmoil within me? Right? Well, I can answer that question for you. If I was in this guy's shoes. He already says, my enemy was surrounding me. My, the people who are against God were saying evil things about me. There's plenty of reasons to be in turmoil. He could answer that question. But then he says, 
hope in God, trust God. For again, I shall praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, imagine this rolls right into chapter 43, because I think it does. Look what he asks next. He's going to God again. And he says this, vindicate me. What does vindicate me mean? It means I'm in the right. People are saying I'm in the wrong. God, prove to everyone that you do know me. God, prove to everyone that you haven't forgot about me. He says, defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. Verse 2. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Just like in a flood, you got to go somewhere where it's safe. He says, you're the God that I go to when times are bad and things are sad. You're the God I go to. He says, but why have you rejected me? It's the same question from the last psalm. Like, why, why does it feel like I'm trying to come close to you, but I, I have no answer? He says, why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of my enemy. Verse number three. It's actually the theme verse for our church. It's on the back of the license plate. It puts this in a little bit of context. Look what it says. He asks a question of God. He says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. We studied a psalm, Psalm 15, that was all, it asked a question. Who will dwell at the house of God? Who's going to live with God? So this guy is desiring to be with God. He wants to know God. He wants to be with God. And he's saying, lead me there. Send out your light and your truth. Lead me to be with you. See, that most strongly displayed in what Jesus does for us. He is the light and the truth. He leads us to God. And furthermore, he gives us his word, which is called a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So clearly we're being led here, and he's asking God to lead him. Verse number four, he says, then I'll go to the altar of God. Where's the altar of God? Well, back to the, the last Psalm, the place where he did that worship. He said, I want to go back to Jerusalem. I want to go back to the place where I can worship God with God's people. He says, to my God, to God, my exceeding joy. Who is he saying is his joy? He's saying God is his joy. Not even going to see God. He's saying God is my exceeding joy. I want to be close to him. In the New Testament, Jesus says that it doesn't matter where you are. You don't have to be in Jerusalem. God is seeking worshipers. This is John chapter 4. People who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And it doesn't matter where you are. He says, I'll praise you with the lyre, which was an instrument, with a stringed instrument. He says, oh God, my God. Then he asks another question. And this will remind you of the last Psalm because it's the exact same words as Psalm 42. He says, why are you cast down, oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Same exact words. Same exact words as the last chapter. Now, we just read two psalms from a guy who was overwhelmingly sad. And you might notice he does two things, and he goes back and forth. He starts talking to God, then he stops talking to God, and then he starts talking to himself. And he goes back and forth. In verses 1 to 4, he talks to God, then in verse 5, he talks to himself. Then he goes, talks to God, and then talks to himself. And then chapter 43, he talks to God again, and he goes back to talking about to himself. Right? Um, Deep sadness for you might not be the reality right now, okay? I get that. For, for some of you, maybe it is right now. Something happened or you're in some problem that is deeply sad. Um, but if it's not, just know that this is something that's going to happen to all of us. If we're in Christ, everybody is going to experience sadness, deep sadness, sometimes sadness that we can't even explain how bad it is. Um, so 
even if you think, oh, this isn't true of me right now, I want you to take this, right? Store it away in your heart tonight. Even keep these notes and bring them out at a time when, it's, when things are hard and things hurt. Because basically his, his thing that he tells these, us to do and we see here is he turns to God. He looks to God. He doesn't look to other things. When things are really bad, he turns and he wants to go to God. That's who he's seeking the whole time. He never even wavers from that. Even here, you might say, well, it seems like he thinks God forgot about him. And obviously, God didn't forget about him. No, but think about who he wanted to know his situation. God. He doesn't say, I went and complained to other people. He doesn't say, I went, I, well, you know, all your gifts didn't make me happy. My family didn't make me happy. It's like, he doesn't even say that. His only concern is, God, answer my prayer. Answer my prayer. That's his concern. And he gets relief and comfort. Two points tonight. And both of them start with the word talk, because when you're sad, you want to talk. Or maybe when you're really sad, you don't want to talk. But you should talk. And really, there's two people you should talk to when you're sad. Right? And this text shows us two people you should talk to. And the first person you should talk to is God. So point number one is this. Talk to God about the sadness you feel. Talk to God about the sadness you feel. It kind of seems obvious, but like, this is what the scriptures are always telling us to do. Turn to God, go to him when you're sad. The question for you is like, what do you do when you're sad? What do you do when something's hard? Who's the first person you want to talk to? Right? We all have people, like if we see something funny on our phone, we're like, oh, I should show this person. Or I want to text it to that person. Right? We always got people that we're always like, I want to, I want to send it to this person. Right? Um, when it comes to your sadness, right, when it comes to grief, Who's the person you go to? Usually it's your, your family members or maybe your mom or your dad or um, maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's a sibling if you're close to one. Maybe it, it could be a lot of people. It could be your small group leader, right? And not that those people are bad, but I, I do want you to think your first reaction as a Christian should be, I need to go to God. God's going to help. God's the one that can actually help the situation. The other problem I think people have is instead of going to God, they go to distractions when they get sad. They say, I don't, I don't want to deal with this. I'm going to deal with it some other way. Um, I'm going to go on my phone. I'm going to watch something. I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't want to think about how sad this is, so I'm going to, I'm going to change the subject, so to speak. Um, he doesn't do that here. Um, he looks sadness in the face, and he's victorious over this sadness, not because he ignores it, but because he deals with it and because he finds hope in God. He goes to God. God answers his prayers. And even before the situation changes, his attitude changes. This is a lot like what we studied in Psalm 13. Remember Psalm 13, that, that, that song that we studied that said, How long, O Lord, will you forget about me forever? It feels like you're not answering me. Right? Psalm 13 said that. We studied it. A passage we looked at when we studied that is another one for you to write down tonight. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, which says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, that means asking, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. All right, so what do we do when we're sad? What do we do when we're anxious? Take those requests and take them to God immediately, quickly. Take them to God. If you're in Psalm 44, look at Psalm 55 real quick. Psalm 55. This is a crazy psalm because this one's definitely of David. It says that. But it gives us the situation in which he feels sadness. 
And this might be a super personal one. I think this one is. Psalm 55, look at verse 4. It says, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. He thought he was going to die. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. Right? It's the same thing as the, the flood imagery from verse 7 to the last one. It was like, it's like there's a flood going over me. I'm overwhelmed. I can't even deal with this right now. Verse number 6, he says what a lot of us want to say. He says, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would get out of here. I don't want to deal with this stuff. I don't want to deal with these problems. I don't want to deal with those people. Just God, let me just, I want to grow wings and just fly away. I don't even want to think about this. Verse number 12, drop down, it says, for it's not an enemy who taunts me. So this situation, it wasn't some mean guy on the outside who didn't like David, who said, David, you're so mean. That's not what happened. He says, then I could bear it, right? If it was an enemy, if it was someone who hated me, I could deal with them being mean. It's not an adversary who deals so insolent with me. Then I could hide from him. But it's you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng, in that that group of people. So we're talking about probably a guy um, named Ahithophel, which that's an interesting name. There's a guy named Ahithophel who betrayed David. Or maybe he's talking about Absalom, probably talking about Ahithophel. Either way, same situation. He's betrayed by his friends. So that hurts too. When you feel like your friend betrays you, and then like the person you would go to usually is now he's the one that betrays you. She's the one that betrays you. What now? Well, go to God. That's what he does here. Look at verse 22 of Psalm 55. Look what it says. It says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. That's a promise. That is a promise in the Bible that you need to trust. Cast your burden on the Lord. Whatever is hard, whatever hurts, whatever sadness, give that to God. Go to God with it. First Peter 5, 6, and 7 say the same thing. It says, cast your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. The idea is basically this. You know, for some of you, you brought big suitcases to winter camp. They were too big for you, right? They were just too big, and you couldn't even carry them, right? But you could give them to your leader and maybe throw them on your leader's shoulders because they're a little bit bigger and broader and stronger than yours. No offense, guys. But they might be able to carry six bags where you could carry one or none. Um, That's the imagery here. It's like you've got a bag that's too big, and that bag you could call sadness. You could call that bag anxiety. You could call that bag whatever problem that this person has at this time, but it's too big to carry. And here's what he says. Take it off. Stop trying to carry it. Give it to God. He's stronger than you. He can carry it. If it's your anxiety, give it to God. If it's some sadness, some serious sadness, give it to God. Talk to God about it. Give it to him. Jesus puts it like this in Matthew 11. Verse 28, he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Idea there is there's these people who are burdened with all these rules that people gave them that were unrighteous and wrong. And he says, no, come to me. I will give you rest. You don't understand. You've been burdened with so many things that these people have told you to do. That's not even what the Bible says. That's not even what God wants. Come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest a different kind of thing to carry. Verse 29 of that passage, he says, take my yoke, put, put on my backpack. I'll give you a different backpack. They've got these backpack of rules and all these things that these people in that context would tell them to do. He says, I've got a different backpack. I'll give it to you. It's much lighter. 
Take my yoke upon you. It's lighter. It says, you'll find rest for your souls with me. You're in Psalm 55. Look at Psalm 85. Turn to the right. I want to look at a couple Psalms tonight. We're going to turn around a little bit. Psalm 85. Look what he says here. I'll start reading. It says, Lord, you are favorable to your land, to your people. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. He's looking back. He says, one time you were great to us. Now he says, he says, you withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. There was a time where you did that, but now here's what he says. We're in a different situation now. Verse four, he says, restore us again. O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation from us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. So in that situation, he's not betrayed. It seems like there's some discipline that's going on here, and it's like he's asking God, we see the discipline. We want to turn from it. God, please, please take that away. We want to follow you. It's like, okay, after betrayal, after discipline, look at verse number one of the next chapter, chapter 86. He says, incline your ear, O Lord. This is David's prayer. He says, and answer me, for I'm poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I'm godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all the day. It's like he doesn't cry to his friends. He doesn't cry to his family. He goes to God. He says, gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Do you hear that? To all who call upon you. Who does that include? Does that include you? It includes you. He's great in steadfast love to all who call upon him. That includes you. That includes me. Assuming that you call on God for forgiveness. It says, give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. I need grace and mercy. In the day of my trouble, I called you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations that you have made shall come and worship before you and shall glorify your name. For you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. This prayer of his, it's like he's talking about how great God is. He's saying, you're God. Nobody else is. Look at verse 11. It says, teach me your way. O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I want to love you, God. I want to serve you, God. I want my whole heart to be wrapped up in it. I don't want half of my heart to want all these distractions. I want to love God first. That's what he says. Even later on in the book, Psalm 130, you don't have to turn there, but Psalm 130 says something similar. Out of the depths I cry to you, God. Be attentive. Hear my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? If God was going to treat you like a sinner, if he was going to treat everyone like a sinner, nobody could stand. He says, but with you there's forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than the watchmen for the morning. Just like these people on these boats, they wanted the morning to come. They wanted... If you were defending a castle, right, you wanted to see the morning come because then you could see people, they're waiting for the morning. Could you imagine waiting on a castle somewhere, on a wall structure, and you were afraid that you were going to get attacked by enemies and you couldn't see? You don't have a flashlight. It's like you're just waiting there, hoping that nobody shows up, 
hoping that those enemies don't come pounding on your door. You're just sitting there waiting. He says, I wait for you, God, more like the watchmen on the top of those towers wait for the morning. They want morning to come because then they could see what's going on. He says, I wait for God more than them. Talking to God. All these psalms are just examples of the time that godly people go to God when times are tough. That's what you need to do. Go to God when times are tough. There's another thing our passage tells us. It's kind of weird. It says, not just talking to God, but also talk to yourself. Is that a weird thought? Hopefully it's not that weird because we just talked about it in Psalm 103 at camp where we said, the text said, bless the Lord, O my soul, talking to himself, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. This guy repeats the same phrase over and over again, three times in these two chapters. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? It's like, well, there's plenty of reason to be sad. He says, no, but why am I sad though? I should hope in God right now because I know that I'll praise God. I know that he'll get me out of whatever's going on at some point, he'll give me deliverance. Point number two is this. I want you to talk to yourself about truth from God's word. Talk to yourself about truth from God's word. So when you're sad, when you're overwhelmed, what are the two people you should talk to? Talk to God, pray, talk to yourself. And remind yourself of what the Bible says. That's why the passages we just looked at were not a waste of time. That's why it's like, okay, look at all the promises. God delivers those who call on him. He shows steadfast love to those who seek him. Okay, that's what the Bible says. Now, I can go to God when times are tough and say, God, you promised. You promised this, that you would forgive those who confess their sin. You promised that the, that the death of Jesus is sufficient for those who call on him. You promised that. Some of you are talking about what it means to be a Christian. Um, talked to some of you this weekend. Some of you talked to your leaders about this. Um, this is one of the key things for you to understand, that some people think that they're afraid to confess their sin and turn to God and become a Christian because you think that you'll mess it up somehow. That's super common. I felt that way when I was in junior high too. What I didn't quite understand was in me saying that, I was showing that I didn't have a right understanding of the gospel because that's not how it works. Right? I can't mess it up. You can't mess it up if what you're doing is asking Jesus to save you. The question is, do you think he'll mess it up? Or do you think he's able to do it? It's the same question that these Psalms have. It's the same exact thing. With the Psalms, it's like, well, trust God. He made a promise. So it's like the Psalmist going back to God and saying, God, you promised this. God, please show your steadfast love. You made a promise. I believe your promise. I believe you. I believe you. That's what we ask when a person becomes a Christian. They say, God, I believe you that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I believe you and I trust that Jesus died for me, period. I trust him completely. I believe that. You ask and you trust. That's what it is. You talk to yourself about truths, to remember the truths. Try to study for a test and then talk to yourself for a little bit real quick and then forget about it and take the test three weeks later. Right? You're never going to do well on tests. How do, you, how do you study for a test? Well, you talk to yourself and you remind yourself. And you don't just do it once, you do it again. And then you do it again the next day. And really, if you're good at studying, like long-term memorization, you'll do it over and over again over the course of time. You'll spread it out so that it will instinctually be what comes to your mind when you think of that topic. Whether it's a math test, whether it's a science test, whether it's Bible memorization, you name it. 
part of talking to yourself about God's truth is you're doing it often and often and often, and then it's sticking. The more you do it, the more it sticks. What are some truths from God's word that you should talk to yourself about when you're sad? Well, all the things that we just went over, we looked at Psalm 13, Psalm 55, Psalm 85, Psalm 86, Psalm 130. Those are great psalms to go to when you're sad. Even Psalm 103, the one we looked at with, uh, with Nathan teaching us this weekend. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Tell him, talking to himself. That's why it's interesting. The next couple psalms are some of my favorite. Psalm 105 and Psalm 106, super interesting. Because what happened in those psalms, if you want to just turn to Psalm 105, let me talk about that real quick. Psalm 105. In Psalm 103, he says, bless the Lord, don't forget anything good that God does. Then Psalm 104, God says, or, or he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. And then Psalm 104 is all about what God is and who, who he is and what he does. Then Psalm 105 and 106 are like two big chapters that, again, could be seen as one unit. They go together. And what is it all about? Well, it's just telling people and saying what God has done. Psalm 105 verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Who's he talking to? He's talking to you. Call upon his name. He has, and he's telling you. You should call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Tell everybody what God's done. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Like, tell everybody. Glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Then he says, seek the Lord in his strength. So he says, hey, everyone who seeks God, it's good for them. Their life doesn't get better necessarily. It's not like all the problems go away, but their heart is safe and secure with God. And then he says, hey, if you haven't done that, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Not just once. Don't just say, oh, I want to follow God. I want to become a Christian and then forget about it. No, seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, the miracles and the judgments that he's uttered. Then he goes and talks about the 10 plagues and all that God did through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He goes on and says all these things and it's really cool. I mentioned Philippians chapter four, verse six, don't be anxious. But I didn't say what verse seven says. Philippians 4, 7 says, if you turn to God, if you go to God with prayer and supplication, you make your request made known to him. It says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. Go to God. He promises. And when it doesn't feel like it, go back to God and say, you promise. God, hear, like God hears and answers those prayers, even if he doesn't change everything in your situation, because that's not what you're asking for. Or just know what you're asking for when you're sad. You're not saying, God, change it all, change it all, change it all. That's not how this works. It's not what you pray for. You pray for a secure heart. You pray for a trusting heart, a heart that has faith to believe that God's good even when it doesn't feel like it. Interesting, after that, he says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Then he says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything of excellence, anything worthy of praise, here's what he says. Think about these things. So it's almost like point one and point two, talk to God, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Oh, then talk to yourself and think about the right things. 
verse 8. It's almost like it's the same thing that you see in the Old Testament and the New Testament and points 1 and 2 tonight. It's almost like that because it is like that. Sorry, if you're like, is it like that? No, it is like that. That's why, that's why you're writing it down this way. If you're in Psalm 105, turn to the right. Look at Psalm 125. We're going to finish here looking at this psalm. This is one of the psalms of ascent, which are basically the road trip psalms that they would sing as they go up to Jerusalem. They're climbing this hill, and they're going up. I like that we're looking at this one because, again, just think about what Psalm 42 is about. It's about he's sad that he's not going to the worship service. He's going away from the worship service. This guy was the worship leader who sang the songs, and he's like, I I just wish, take me back there. I wish I could be there leading worship again. Psalm 125 is the songs that they sang as they went to worship. Psalm 125 says this, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. That might not mean much to you. Um, Mount Zion is a way of talking about this, the hill that the temple was built on. But the hill the temple was built on does not stand alone. Basically, this hill is surrounded by these other hills. One of them is famous, called the Mount of Olives. You know about that one. You've heard about that one. But this hill Zion is like, it's this crown hill that's surrounded by all these other hills. So Mount Zion is pretty safe from invaders because it's protected and surrounded by these hills. Here's what he says. The one who trusts in the Lord is like Mount Zion. It's like a head with a crown around it, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Even Mount Zion, there's some, there's some literal and some figurative in that because think about it. Mount Zion can never be moved. Why? Because that's God's city. God's there. So it's never going to change. It will never be moved. But also, geographically, it's in the middle of these set of hills. So you can't even move that mountain if you wanted to. Here's what he says. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. He envelops his people from this time forth and for a little bit longer. For this time forth and uh, maybe, maybe a, just maybe until uh, the Pentecost. Uh, this time, no, this time forth and forevermore. Like forever God surrounds his people. The scepter, the, the strength of wickedness shall not rest, right? People who do what's evil to God's people. There are so many people in this world, for even some of you who are God's people, that they are doing evil things to you, who wronged you and treated you wrongly. The scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. God will not let you be wronged by those people in the end. He might allow it for a while, but it's not going to rest on the land, lest the righteous stretch out their hand and to do what's wrong. He says this to those of us who are listening. Look at verse four. He says, do good, O Lord, to those who are good. It's a prayer here. He asks God, will you do good to your people? To those who are upright in heart, the Psalm 15 people who want to live with God. He says, to those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will leave away, he'll lead away with the evildoers. Then he says, peace be upon Israel. I like the picture that he gives there of God surrounds the hearts of his people like the mountains surround Jerusalem. That's the same picture of Philippians 4, 7, that the peace of God protects, surrounds the hearts of those who trust him. I don't know if you heard, but this morning there was a big earthquake, I think it was yesterday, in Japan. Did you hear about this? 
huge earthquake in Japan. And for a lot of people, it was really scary because about 10 years ago, there was a huge, even bigger earthquake in Japan, and it killed thousands of people. Because what happens is, if you have an earthquake right off the coast, what happens to the waves, right? Huge waves. There's a tsunami, right? And tsunamis aren't so scary because they're high waves. Obviously, some are high waves. But the thing that tsunamis do that's even scarier than this is kind of like the back and forth, right? When these waves go and they take over the land. What happened a long time ago, it, thankfully, it didn't happen today, which was really, really awesome. Uh, it, today, apparently, there was 2 million people who lost their power today. So 2 million people in Japan had no power, right? They turned on the stove, it didn't work. They turned on the lights, they didn't turn on this morning because of this earthquake and all that happened. But it's not so bad as it was about 10 years ago when this huge tsunami hit. And what happened was the water, instead of just kind of staying at the shore and doing the normal tides, it just took over all these cities. It went up into the cities and it just took over. And when you got so much water, it's impressive how much water can do when you got a lot of it and it just took over and destroyed houses and businesses and cars are floating down and buildings got knocked down because of the water, the floods. That's the picture in Psalm 42 of the floods of this sadness. He says it's overwhelming. It's like the house and everything is just carried away in this flood. But he says, but you are my refuge. You're where I can, you're where I can go even when all that stuff happens. If you don't turn to God in sadness and you try to turn to other things, you're, just, you're not going to find what you want. And furthermore, you're probably going to make it worse. So maybe if you're a person who has gone to other things and you're trying to distract yourself and trying to find your identity in your music or your sports or something else to not think about what God's word says, please stop running to those other things. Please deal with God. I know for a lot of you, probably have not dealt with God, and we're going to leave you a little bit more time for small groups tonight. We're going to wrap up right now, but what I want to pray for is that we would go to God. For those of us who know that we need to trust God for the first time, we need to go to God. For those of us who are going through sadness right now that's really bad, we need to go to God. For those of you who are not going through sadness, you need to go to God anyway because this is the pattern of what it means to be a Christian because you're going to need it in the future. So let's pray for that right now. God, we're thankful for your word and how it guides us. You send out your light and your truth. You've given us your word that we can trust and we can follow. We believe your promises that you surround the hearts of those who trust you, that we should call on you, that you'll show your steadfast love, that you'll be kind to us, that you might not change our situation, but you'll certainly do so much to change our hearts, and that's even more important. Pray for those of us who are going through things that are really hard, maybe with some of our parents or some of our siblings, um, things that seem unfair and unright and unrighteous. Just pray that we turn to you, that you would guard our hearts, that you, you would be our hiding place. We trust you. We know that if we call on you, you'll do good to us. So I pray that we would seek you with our whole heart, like a deer pants for water. Pray that we would seek you ultimately and completely. Please have us walk away from this really seeking to apply it, not just thinking these are good ideas, but I just pray that you would cause us to do this, please. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.